outside smell. Oh, that would be me. I've been swimming in raw sewage. I love it. I love it. That's the signal. Let's go. Hi, sweet lord, we're back for another episode of Trimming the Musical Fat, the podcast where we trim albums that are too damn long. I'm Stephen Nicholson. And I'm Paul Nicholson. And together with our guest, we're going to be taking our invisible scissors to George Harrison's 1970 triple album classic, All Things Must Pass. What's going to make the under 50 minute single vinyl TTMF supercut of the album? Isn't it a pity? Wawa, Let It Down, the title track? Keep listening to find out. We'll also find some time to share George Harrison jokes, revisit 1970, hear archive interview snippets, debate which officially released version of the album is best, share our favourite The Quiet One songs, and answer as many Harrison questions as we can in only three minutes. It's time to introduce our guest. What is life without him in it? It's Paul Murphy. How are you, Paul? Oh, my sweet lord. What an intro. Indeed it is. And Paul... Isn't it a pity yeah. that you didn't do a similar intro for uh, your brother? Uh, <laughs> he has to be worthy of such an intro. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So, Paul, we're, we're talking George... Harrison this evening, and uh, we've covered a, a fair bit of Beatles stuff already on the podcast this year. So, how does it feel to be moving away from the the Paul McCartney stuff to to Georgie Porgy now? Yeah, George, I think it's uh, he's an interesting an interesting character. I think uh, like listening to his music, and I think going back to this album as well, you can see how it. Uh, Became, you know, even just outside of the Beatles, where it was, you know, held as being the, you know, finally George Harrison actually could, you know, could could produce all this material, and people were really surprised by it. But it's uh it's pretty good going to listen now. It's almost like a catalyst for uh, like the sound of the seventies, really. Um, like a lot of rock acts like Eric Clapton, with Derek and the Dominoes and stuff. Uh, took very similar sounds and a bit of Pink Floyd as well. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's good. I think, uh, especially in these uh, early years, I think you know, George Harrison was the most popular Beatle, wasn't he? At this point, uh, in terms of record sales and popularity, so it's good. It's going good going back to him. Yeah, and well, we are we're talking the quiet one today, the the mystical one today. Uh, so, when did you become a fan of his, and, and what was the first? George Harrison record CD cassette you ever bought? So, um, let's see. Uh, I remember I got like, a, well, I got into the Beatles first and then I started uh, collecting the solo stuff and I was doing that kind of um, in almost chronological order for the, for John Lennon and Paul McCartney because 
But when I just started getting really into the Beatles, a Paul McCartney collection had come out on CD. Uh, so I was, what, 92? Um, and then I remember uh, the first CD that I got, the first George Harrison, well, the first George Harrison album actually ever I listened to was before that. It was uh, Cloud Nine in mm-hmm. 1986. So uh, I didn't really know any of his soul stuff. I just knew him as the guy who sang, um, you know, When We Was Fab and... Uh, you know, and and it was like quite that. That was how I got into. It. I remember I had that on tape, uh, and also traveling Wil- Wilburys as well. That was so. Yeah, I heard that before I heard. Got really into the Beatles. So yeah, I guess he was around quite a lot in the mid to late eighties, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was. Yeah. So yeah, I first became a fan probably just through listening to the Beatles, and then. Like what Paul was saying in the mid eighties, eighty seven when Cloud Nine came out, just sort of a George Harrison resurgence because he'd uh, kind of been quite quiet since the early eighties. And uh, but I remember it was quite interesting at the time. I think Paul McCartney was number number two in the album charts, and George Harrison was number two in the singles chart, something like that. It was quite interesting. I remember at the time, and. Uh, but Cloud Nine was the first album I'd, I'd heard of his. Uh, great, I'd heard the singles, uh, My Sweet Lord, obviously. But yeah, Cloud Nine was the time that that I got into George Harrison. Yeah, great album. Yeah, I think for me, um, it was more first thing I ever bought of his was when we was fab. Mm, uh, right. The single, yeah, and I remember I had a really good B side. Uh, zigzag, which was an instrumental like one, which is pretty cool. Zigzag, zigzag, zigzag. So yeah, I, I bought that and I think that then prompted me to buy the Cloud9 album on cassette, which I still remember where I bought it. It was the Woolworths at Great Junction Street, which is obviously no longer there. Right, yeah. um, and here's a fact for you. Um, Cloud9 only got to number 10 here in Britain, which is absolutely, really? yeah, isn't that outrageous? I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would have thought, I mean, it's I guess it's sort of like known as his uh, comeback album. I mean, yeah. I had a couple of good, good, you know, top singles out of it, hits on it. You would have thought they would have done. Yeah. Better. But I guess 1987 was one of those years when there was must have been great, great albums out that year. Uh, yes, there must have been. But yes, that was quite a surprise. Uh, but I think for me initially getting into George Harrison would have been through the Beatles and also my dad's records um, and so on. And, and I remember... Uh, my dad definitely had the original My Sweet Lord uh, seven-inch single, so I remember playing that, and, that, and that's obviously... Yeah, he had a, Bangladesh a as well. Mm, yeah, Bangladesh. yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, just looking at the, the the albums that were released in November 1987, uh, so there was a couple of, uh, couple of big competition on there. You had... Uh, you had Faith, George Michael, that was staying mm. there. Uh, and Whenever You Need Somebody by Rick Astley. <laughs> I 
Ah, the big guns. The big guns were out of course that month, Paul. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for that. And thank you for joining us tonight. Now, let's tell all the listening Apple Scruffs about All Things Must Pass. Things Must Pass, the proper debut album from ex-Beatle George Harrison, released in November 1970 along with the transatlantic number one single, My Sweet Lord, the biggest selling UK single of 1971 and the first number one by an ex-Beatle. This was the follow-up to 1968's Wonderwall Music and 1969's Electronic Sound. The album was produced by Phil Spector and George Harrison himself, and the front cover photography was by Barry Fenstein. There are 23 songs on the album, and they are I'd Have You Anytime, My Sweet Lord, Wawa, Isn't It a Pity, Version 1, What Is Life, If Not For You, Behind That Locked Door, Let It Down, Run Of The Mill, the Weight of Darkness, Apple Scruffs, Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, Let It Roll, Awaiting on You All, All Things Must Pass, I Dig Love, Art of Dying, Isn't It a Pity Version 2, Hear Me Lord, Out of the Blue, It's Johnny's Birthday, Plug Me In, I Remember Jeep, and Thanks for the Pepperoni. The album is 106 minutes in duration, which means we need to lose a massive 56 minutes today. There were two singles released from the album, My Sweet Lord, and in the US, uh, the also released What Is Life, 1970, in review. So the critical reception to the album was, was very high, it was very highly praised at the time. Ben Gerson of Rolling Stone magazine deemed all things must pass, both an intensely personal statement and a grandiose gesture, a triumph over artistic modesty in reference to three record set as an extravaganza of piety and sacrifice and joy, whose sheer magnitude and ambition may dub it the war and peace of rock and roll. Gerson also lauded the album's production as being of classic spectorian proportions Wagnerian or Bruckneriian, the music of mountaintops and vast horizons. In the NME, Alan Smith referred to Harrison's songs as music of the mind, adding, 
They search and they wander as if in the soft rhythms of a dream. And in the end, he has sent them, set them to words which are often both profound and profoundly beautiful. Billboard's reviewer hailed All Things Must Pass as a masterful blend of rock and piety, technical brilliance and mystic mood and relief from the tedium of everyday rock. Yeah, so, so what are your thoughts on the reviews here? It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, it was very, very highly regarded at the, the time. I think it also got a bit of a criticism towards the end of the 70s when I was reading about it, how I think uh, people had felt that it was a bit too bloated and a bit too... But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's a classic album. It is. It's, uh, yeah, it shouldn't be touched. Just stop touching. Yes, it should, Paul. It should be touched. <laughs> Only if you're going to do what we are doing. I'm talking about re-releasing it again and again. All right, okay, yeah, the production. Yes, I agree yeah. with you on that. Yeah, definitely. Don't do a George Lucas on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially when George Harrison's <laughs> dead. Yeah. <laughs> He's dead? What? <laughs> in fact is it not next month it'll be his 20th anniversary of his death won't it yeah November I think it is isn't it yeah November yeah November 2001 good afternoon and welcome to the BBC's news at one o'clock the former Beatle George Harrison has lost his five year fight with cancer he died last night at the age of 58 at the home of friends in Los Angeles his wife and son were at his bedside in a statement, the family said he left this world as he lived in it, conscious of God, fearless of death, and at peace. Sir Paul McCartney led the tributes this morning, describing him as a baby brother. Our first report is from our arts correspondent, Nick Hyam. Tributes from fans today at Abbey Road, the London recording studio forever associated with George Harrison and the Beatles. I'd known he was sick for a while, but you know, never really thought it would, would happen. It's always tragic, you know, when someone, someone like him passes. His contribution to the band is everything. I mean, he played, he was the guitarist. He is the Beatles. George Harrison helped supply the soundtrack for an entire generation, including the British and Irish Prime Ministers. Sorry. I mean, we grew up with the Beatles. You know, their music uh, and the band, the personalities of the band were the background to our lives. And I think people will be very sad at his death. Among the tributes today, one from Paul McCartney, friend, collaborator, fellow legend. He's uh, such a brave lad. To me, he's just my little baby brother. Uh, we grew up together and uh, I knew him in my old hometown, Liverpool. And um, we just had so many beautiful times together that that's what I'm going to uh, remember him by. The lovely guy who's full of humour, as I say, even when I saw him last time and he was... Uh, obviously very unwell. He was still cracking jokes like he always was. And uh, he'd be sorely missed. He's a beautiful man and uh, the world will miss him. The album uh, spent seven consecutive weeks at the top of the US Billboard album chart. Just a month ago in August, when the 50th anniversary version, uh, version was uh, issued, it entered the US album chart at number seven, and the UK got to number four. So the sales figures 
for the album, it, it's hard to get a definitive figure, but from what I've read, I mean, it sold six, uh, six million copies in America alone, obviously six times. So it went six times platinum. And in the UK, it went gold. And so, yeah, reckon worldwide between six and seven million copies. There's there's quite a lot of misleading things online, you know, about uh, because obviously initially George Harrison was the most successful solo Beatle and and there's a lot of things saying, oh, this was the best-selling solo album and it wasn't uh, the best-selling solo album but the Beatles, like, uh, you know, like Band on the Run sold more, Imagine sold more, Double Fantasy sold more. So, there, But there seems to be this sort of myth that it's the best-selling uh, solo Beatles album. Mm. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's uh, Wingsy's London Town, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sometime New York City, John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's when you do get into the, yeah, that uh, that period of the Beatles of just after this, I guess, when mm. they weren't selling enough, were they? Wings... Wildlife hadn't sold particularly much. Uh, sometime in New York City, and they were struggling, weren't they? A bit in terms mm. of sales, and it was George Harrison's sales that were carrying them uh, for like Apple in terms of Apple's revenue and Ringo as well. Okay, so we'll move on to the top ten selling singles of the, the year nineteen seventy. So at, at number ten on the list was Yellow River by Christie. At number nine was Up Around the Bend by Credence Clearwater Revival. At number eight was Lola by The Kinks. At number seven was Whole Lot of Love by Led Zeppelin. At number six was Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. At number five was Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by B.G. Thomas. At number four was Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel. At number three was Venus by Shocking Blue. Number two was In the Summertime by Mungo Jerry, and at number one was Let It Be by The Beatles. Hey. Hey. So it was that the top 10 best-selling singles of 1970? No, the bit of all time. <laughs> of all time? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Hey. Mungo Jerry yeah. at number two. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder he didn't do anything else after that. I guess he just <laughs> retired off the royalties. <laughs> no, uh, 1970, yeah, that was the top 10. Mm. So no, My Sweet Lord. No, that uh, that was the that was biggest single of the following year. Good top 10, though. No, I mean, Bridge Over Troubled Water. I mean, there's lots of classics in there, like Zeppelin, The Kinks. You mean Kinks, The Revival. Yeah, yeah I mean, that's such a very good top 10. Probably the best one we've had so far. Definitely up there, yep. Certainly up there. And okay, so we're now moving on to the top ten selling albums worldwide in nineteen seventy. And I just thought I'd mention what was number eleven, just because it just missed out in its connection. So uh, Paul McCartney's McCartney just missed out on reaching the top ten. Just thought I'd mention that in connection with what we're talking about today. At number 10 was Paranoid by Black Sabbath. At number 9 was After the Gold Rush by Neil Young. 
At number eight was Woodstock, the original soundtrack. At number seven was Cosmos Factory by Credence Clearwater Revival. At number six was Deja Vu by Crosby, Stills, Nash Young. At number five, Paul's already mentioned it, Led Zeppelin 3 by Led Zeppelin was number five. At number four was Let It Be by The Beatles. At number three was All Things Must Pass by George Harrison. Okay. At number two was Abraxas by Santana. And the number one album of 1970 was Bridge Over Trouble Water by Simon and Garfunkel. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Good, good uh, top 10 there. Yeah, yeah, it's a really good uh, top 10. Uh, funny how. Uh... Some of those albums I always think of as being later in the 70s, like mm. uh, Bridge Over Trouble, Trouble War, I always think as being a mid 70s album. Uh, and some of the, uh, like Black Sabbath. And uh, I always think of them as being a bit later, but uh, just shows you what the changes were happening in, in music. Mm -hmm. It was quite a Definitely. change to heavier, sort of like heavier sounding rock. Yeah, because uh, it's it's very much a snapshot of the time, isn't it? Where you've got Neil Young, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know, a very certain type of Neil Young in it twice. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very Harrison in it twice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Okay, so we're going to do the top ten movies of nineteen seventy. So at number 10 was Catch-22, which starred Alan Arkin. At number 9 was Tora Tora, starring Martin Balsam. At number 8 was Ryan's Daughter, starring Robert Mitchum. At number 7 was Little Big Man, starring Faye Dunaway. At number 6 was Woodstock, and of course quite a few artists from that, uh, Joan Baez was one of them. And Aristocrats, was number five, starring Eva Gable, or Gabor rather. And number four was Patton, starring George C. Scott. Number three was the movie version of MASH, which starred Donald Sutherland. And number two was Airport, starring Burt Lancaster. And the number one film, which is a lovely tune, was Love Story, starring Ali McGraw. What can you say about a 25-year-old girl who died? That she was beautiful and brilliant? That she loved Mozart and Bach? <laughs> the Beatles? And me? think about those films guys crap yeah uh, mash is good mash is a good one that's about probably <laughs> that's about the weakest top 10 as we've had uh on, on the shows uh, yeah i mean there's obviously some good stuff in there but it's, it actually feels a very old-fashioned top 10 doesn't it yeah yeah there isn't really any block i mean the blockbusters probably weren't dog jaws but even then there was still like big films that you knew of, like 2001, you know, in the late 60s, and uh, even like uh, The Graduate and stuff like that, whereas these films feel a bit uh, not that memorable, really. 
kind of transitional, mm. kind of a bit of a lull period almost before the you know the likes of uh, Coppola or Spielberg mm-hmm. came into and started sure. mixing it all up a bit. You sort of see how there there was a big change, wasn't there, in cinema because. Yeah, I mean, Marsh is, Marsh is a good film, but the rest of them are kind of a bit, yeah, dull, really. Yeah. Uh, I do I like one story. I've, do you know, I haven't seen it. I like the, I like the music. I haven't seen it. Yeah, no, I, do, I do like it. Mm-hmm. And Tora Tora is one of those bank holiday ones that will be on that you, you end up watching all the way through. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, that's not the greatest uh, top yeah. one. Things that happened in 1970, well, the Beatles officially break up in April of that year when Paul McCartney publicly states that he's leaving the band. Let It Be is released as their final album a month later. You were talking about the business of the Beatles, and this to me is fascinating. When they break up, Mm -hmm. all right, and who knows who broke, you know, everyone has a theory. I know. Who broke it up? John. John did. And he tried to pin it all on you. No, I, I don't think anyone tried to pin it on you. It just came out that way. Uh, that's a long story. But there was a meeting where John came in and said, hey, guys, I'm leaving the group. Right. So, I heard a crazy story that, and I don't know if it's true. Yeah. So you're about to put out the McCartney solo album. The Beatles are done. Mm-hmm. The Beatles decide to put out Let It Be. Uh-huh. Ringo, this is crazy to me, yeah. comes to your house. Yeah. With a letter from John and George and Ringo uh-huh. saying, you are not to put out your McCartney album at the same time we're putting out a Beatles album. Yeah. But Ringo hand delivers this. I know. I you did. took him and threw him right out of the fucking house. I did. Yes. I did. Yeah. Well, you know. I don't blame you. It was bad enough that we were splitting up. Yeah. It was bad enough that all that money we'd earned and all that fame we were was going down the pan. Yes. And there was this guy who was going to take it all. And it was it was that close. Yes. And I was having to fight. I said, "No, guys, we 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 can keep it. We don't have to give it to this guy, you know." And there's Ringo delegated to come around to me and tell me, because my re- release date was firmly fixed. Yes. And everyone knew this was the release date, so I was going, "Okay, well, this is okay." Yeah. And then they come around. Ringo comes around. He says. No, you won't. <laughs> With his legal yeah, paper. Fuck off! <laughs> Get out of my house! Oh my god! And he did. And you must. Or been... again, even that. You know, we got it back together again. Yeah, was, no. That's families for you. Brazil win their third World Cup with Pele as a captain, and the World Cup that year was held in Mexico. Fidelino. Direto para a área. No alto, Pelé! Pelé! Gol do Brasil! The world's first jumbo jet, a Boeing 747, made its first commercial passenger trip from New York to London. an interesting one. Didn't realise that mm. that took place so late. You would have thought it would have been mm. in the 60s. Next album, All Things Was Past, George Harrison. Top album. Um, yeah, I think it's the best solo album from any Beatle. 
without a doubt, I think. I mean, Imagine's obviously great and that, but all things must pass. Got some killer tunes on it. Song on there that really that I like a lot is Isn't It a Pity? My favourite Beatle, I reckon, yeah, it's got to be John Lennon, followed closely by, I guess, I mean, I like them all, obviously, but yeah, George Harrison is pretty cool. I mean, then Ringo, I mean, it's a shame that McCartney's fourth, but, that's, you know, should have had more members in the band, shouldn't they? Uh, yeah, no, I like, I like, obviously, I like them all. They're gods, aren't they? Did George Harrison not slag him, though? Probably. Uh, probably. I think he slagged him. Yeah, I think George Harrison slagged everyone, to be fair. And finally, Oasis lead singer Liam Gallagher has been greatly criticised by one of his biggest heroes, former Beatle George Harrison. Oasis have always made it well known what massive Beatles fans they are, but as far as George is concerned, the band would be better off without their lead singer. Oh, he's like a bit out of date, you know, I mean, he's a bit of a, it's just, it's just silly, it's silly. I feel a bit sorry for him really, because I think he's totally missed the bus. And I think it was proven when you see the band without him singing, you know, they're more in tune and they, they can, you know, I mean, he's just excess baggage i think and all he does is you know make people think what a bunch of prannies they are yeah he's quite bitter because like I, I know john lennon people say oh john lennon quite angry and bitter but see if you listen to some of the george harrison he's quite you could argue he's more bitter mm-hmm. i think it was not mccartney said he, he didn't suffer fools gladly mm-hmm. that was a bit likely very <laughs> true did you not tell the police to F off when they were bothering them or something? On the video, the uh, Living in the Material World film, he said, I think it was Danny's son was saying, oh, the police were doing something and they, they brought me home to the house. I think he was maybe a teenager and, and George Harrison just told him to F off and leave him alone or something. <laughs> <laughs> like that. It was... I think he was quite happy just uh, at the end, just gardening, really. Yeah, like liked his garden, fire park, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I just think it's a bit of a shame. So, like, re- you know, reading about Friar Park, apparently in the 70s, you could just walk into it. That's right. Before yeah. John Lennon was killed, you could mm-hmm. take a tour around. Because I think his brother was the head gardener or something. Was he right? just walk around and just uh, tour the garden and stuff. Yeah. And then I think after John Lennon was shot, he put a big fence up and stopped people going in and that, but... Unfortunately, that guy's still got in, didn't he? At 3.30am this morning, police were called to Friars Park, the home of George Harrison. Uh, George and his wife Olivia had both been injured in an incident. They were taken to Royal Berkshire Hospital, where they're currently receiving treatment, and their condition is described as stable. A 33-year-old man from Liverpool has been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder. He has been treated at John Radcliffe Hospital for injuries he received, and he is now... Uh, at St Aldate's Police Station in Oxford, where he'll be questioned later. I've got my mind on starting Trim the Talk, the feature where we're all asked the same questions and have to answer them all in three minutes or less. So, gentlemen, are you ready to start your engines? Three minutes start now. So describe George Harrison in three words. Enigmatic. Um, bitter. Funny. <laughs> Talented dark horse. Slide guitar. Krishna. 
Uh, have you seen or did you see George Harrison live? No. On on the TV. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the bootleg Beatles was the closest <laughs> I was getting to that. Uh, favorite George Harrison album. Uh, all things must pass. Yeah, all things must pass. Yep, all things must pass. Favorite George Harrison song. Uh, isn't it a pity version one? Give me love, give me peace on earth. Oh, I'd have to go between Wawa or Cheer Down. Um, what? Well, I think the next question is pretty easy. What were we doing at the time of uh, the album's release in November 1970? None of us were born, so we'll move on to the next one. Two minutes left. Uh, when and where did you first hear this album? Uh, uh, when I was going to buying the Beatles uh, solo stuff, so probably 93, I think it would have been. Uh, I think I saved up for this one because it was like £30 on CD. Um, yeah, and uh, so it was, uh, I think it was the second solo CD that I bought. The first one was the best of Dark Horse, and then I bought this. Uh, first time I heard the album was in 2000 and I borrowed that album of Paul and then a couple of months later the remastered version came out which was a slightly different sound yeah I think I think you you gave me your old CD of it uh, when you bought the remastered uh, one in Mm -hmm. 2001 so that's how the the first time I I heard it Um, your favourite track from the album One minute remaining. Uh, isn't it a pity? Version one. Wawa. Uh, Wawa for me as well. Uh, least favourite track from the album. Oh, uh, either it's Johnny, it's Johnny's birthday, or I dig love. Apple scruffs. Out of the blue for me, and your album rating out of five. 30 seconds to go. Uh, Four and a half. Five. I'm going to say four with a caveat that if uh, he had dropped the third disc, it would be a five. Okay, well done, guys. We've managed to do that in um, in the three minutes, which is great. Um, and I want to maybe just pick up on maybe a few things in relation to the album. Now, you guys um, have kind of lived with this album for quite a, a long period of time now. Um, there has been different versions of it released over the course of time. And the, obviously, just recently... There has been the 2020 um, remix of the album done. So it was originally produced by Spectre. I think the the version in 2001 just maybe cleaned things up slightly. And this new version, uh, in a lot of ways, is despectrified. Uh, so I was just wanting to to get each of your opinions on which is your your favorite version, and uh, maybe just thoughts on should 
uh, be making any of those kind of changes or not and so on. So maybe, Paul Murphy, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I've not listened to the new one uh, just because the new version. I mean, I think the... I think the original version is the one to, to stick with. Um, I'm not a fan at all of uh, of them going back now, especially George Harrison's dead, going back and tinkering with it. I mean, yeah, I mean, like when I go through my selection of songs, I think in there, there's the greatest Phil Spector album that he never released uh, in terms of the pinnacle Spectre. Uh, but yeah, it's the, the the one in the 2001 uh, remaster. I mean, that was pretty good because it sort of tidied it up because on CD it was a bit murky. Uh, so at least the sort of like the the mix of it was a little bit better. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just I just prefer the original. Uh, and I don't think they should tinker with it at all. I think they should just leave it as it is. Okay, thanks, Paul. Uh, Brother Paul? Yeah, well, I just listened to the 50th anniversary over the last couple of days. And it, it, it's not massively different, to be honest. I mean, there's a few wee tweaks here and there, but they've like put his uh, vocals up higher in the mix and obviously uh, taken down some of the Phil Spector production. But I think like Paul, I, I like the original best. And although it might sound a bit like, uh, what's the word, distorted or sounds not great, but I kind of like that. I like that fact. I think if you clean things up a bit, you lose a bit of the character. Uh, so for me, probably the original version of the album is uh, the, the best one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I've only really started properly listening to this album in the last six weeks. And, and I have been comparing the original to the new version. And I think, as you say, Paul, the new mix is cleaner. I think there's more spatial separation of the, the vocals and instruments in the new version. The Spectre version certainly had more echo and reverb, which is, you know, the Spectre wall of sound. Um, and I think the new mix benefits perhaps some of the, the quieter, more intimate songs. And I think for the, the more grander, songs uh the the spectre version is better but but you know as a direct comparison uh, i i think the spectre version is 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 the better of the two we worked over and over on the songs in the studio so that everybody got the right routine and it was sounding really nice and then in the control room phil was in there with the engineer making it sound like you no know, this noise the first track we to wall yeah well the first track we ever did it was this song called wawa and it sounded really nice in the studio all this nice acoustics and piano and no echo on anything we did it for hours until we you know he had it right in the control room yeah. then we went in to listen to it and i listened to it and i just thought i hate it it just is so horrible did you say um, that to I, him? I, yeah, I said, it's horrible, I hate it. Eric said, oh, I love it. So I said, well, well you can have it on your album then. But <laughs> I grew to like it. Message you're in. If you open... uh, and another thing I wanted to pick up on, Paul, uh, Paul Murphy, you, when you were selecting your songs for, for this episode, you felt that a lot of songs available, you felt 
that there was basically three different albums in there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So like going back and listening to it, um, I think you know now that you go back a little bit older and listening to it, uh, yes, yeah, so the three albums that could you sort of felt there was inside it was there's a Phil Spector album. So like the songs like My Sweet Lord, Wawa, I mean, Wawa is probably, it's interesting that you both chose that as your favourite song because I, mean, I think uh, when you when you read about it, uh, George Harrison hated that, hated the version of Wawa because he thought there was just everything in there. It was like everything in the kitchen sink. And it was Eric Clapton that said to him, no, that's really good. You should stick with that. And I think it's a great version. I think it's brilliant. It is like total wall of sound and so that's one album where it's like it feels like as if it's you know phil specter's gone in and produced this this album in the way that he did in the 70s where it was with the ramones or you know uh, leonard cohen where he just goes off and does something without too much involvement with the actual mm -hmm. artist and the production side and then there was another album which was kind of like almost like uh, I sort of said, oh, you know, is it like George Harrison and Friends? So it's almost like Derek and the Dominoes, because uh, like Derek and the Dominoes started off as this, as a, you know, that's in uh, Delaney and Bonnie, where you know that was the that was the catalyst for Derek and the Dominoes with Eric Clapton, and uh, so it was almost like another album which is much more of the quieter songs, more of a band song, a lot more the the Dylan esque sort of songs underneath there, but. You know, things like, uh, you know, if not for you and uh, I'd have you anytime and Beware of Darkness feels a bit more just like a band that's playing on it. And then there's another album, which is just like a jam band, really, uh, which I guess is the last album. But um, yeah, it, like and it is strange when you listen to it because it goes from one sound like a Phil Spector, you know, big wall of sound to a quieter song. And so maybe it would have been better to think we split it off as separate albums and then you know, we maybe we wouldn't get this tinkering that would keep on going on to the 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 specters the really specter focused stuff before Frampton comes live becomes this massive one of the biggest hits of all time in rock history you befriend George Harrison mm -hmm. now a guy with your kind of guitar chops and experience and singing and everything are you nervous when George calls you up and says, I need, I'm, I'm leaving the Beatles and I need no. <laughs> like, like I need you yeah um like, how well, does that work? The, the first time that I met him, a fr uh, uh, his best friend and assistant, Terry Doran, he, he, we were in Wardour Street in London, and that's uh, the studio is just around the corner, Trident. And um, we were in the pub, and he said, do you want to come and meet George? And I said, George who? Right, yeah. <laughs> so those guys all call themselves, like, they think you know who they are. Yeah. It's like, well, wait, George, yeah, but George. Yeah, he had some, he had some code name for him as well. Right. So, so they could talk about him in public, <laughs> you know. Code name. Yeah, I heard, like, guys that famous get code names. <laughs> yeah. What was George Harrison's code name? Uh, it was Harry, I think, Big Harrison. Harry. You know, I think oh. it was the Harry, something like that. Right. But uh, do you want to come meet Harry? You know, so <laughs> <laughs> so I walk in the studio and there's George standing behind the console. And he looked at me and he goes, hello, Pete. You know, and I, I kind of looked behind myself. I thought, Is there another Pete here? <laughs> How and did I, he know you so well? Was he from Humble Pie? From Humble Pie. And he requested you because he had to put together musicians for this thing he was well, doing. Well, he... We we didn't know we were going to meet that day, and he just said, "Look, I'm producing my first album for the Apple label, the Beatles Apple right. label." So I walked down, and it's the who's who of players. Who's you know, in there? Ringo and Klaus Vorman, Nicky Hopkins. Oh my god! All these like top top guys, and uh, 
Chris Bedding probably. That, that's exciting, right? Uh, yes, I was nervous as hell. And then George just hands me his Les Paul, the famous one. Not that he's not famous. <laughs> right, but that's his guitar. <laughs> but it's it's very, there's a storied past to it. So, and I, I saw... So and I you start, had no idea you were going there to play. You were no. just going to meet George, you, Harry. Yeah, exactly. They didn't give you a code name? No, You're like, not hey, yet. where's my code name? Not yet. Hey, kid, get over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, just, you're just Peter Frampton. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so then I start playing rhythm because he is the Beatles lead guitar player. And, that's right. Uh, so he says, no, no, I'm playing rhythm. I want you to play lead, you know. Wow. So, so I swallowed hard and I ended up playing the main guitar riffs on this her first single. As a know? musician who puts together his own music, are you shocked that when you walked into that room, he wanted you to play lead? Because you're probably, because like you say, he's yeah. the Beatles lead guitar player. Why do you think he needed you to play lead? Was it just he was just looking for something different, a different sound? Um, I know that he was, you know, he, he was a fan of my playing, right. um, and he just, you know, that Want day, to see what you'll do with it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and you're sitting there and all those guys are jamming with you. And I sort of became, um, he said, well, look, if Eric can't make it, I'll call Pete, you know, which was very nice. But I, you know, I, I know Eric where being I st- Eric Clapton. Yes. I know where I stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're second to Eric Clapton. Yes. Not a bad place to be. Oh, absolutely. But you didn't I, take that as an insult. No, no way. <laughs> no. Here comes the jokes. So, does anybody have any good George Harrison jokes to share with us this evening? What did George Harrison say to his guitar while it gently weeped? Don't fret. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, well, I've I've uh, actually had a couple of things that Harrison said. Yeah, and. Uh, which is quite good. So when when asked in an interview how he knew Eric Clapton, Harrison responded, we shared the same wife. (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. Uh, On the subject of wives, before Harrison was even married to to, uh, Patty Patty Boyd, Boyd. wasn't it? Yep, to Patty Boyd. Mm -hmm. Uh, A Texan reporter in 1964 asked John Lennon what types of girls he liked, to which Lennon responded, my wife. When the same question was directed at Harrison, he cheekily responded, John's wife. (laughs) (laughs) Well, was was it not like the the famous story of when George Martin was playing them back, Love Me Do, and he said, oh, is there anything you'd be critical of? And George Martin said, oh, well, for starters, I don't like your tie. I don't (laughs) like your tie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's grotty. (laughs) George Uh, (laughs) Television in America isn't as mature as it is in England It's very good in England I Uh, can't watch TV in America to tell you the truth It's such a load of rubbish (laughs) (laughs) Not the Dick Cavett show Oh, oh, I... 
I wondered. Yeah, I... It just drives you crazy, you know, the, the commercials. You just get into something and it's sorry now, another word from... Mm -hmm. and another word from... And in the end, you know, they just put commercials on all the time. Yeah, but you have commercials too over in your side. Yeah, but it's really done good, you know. It's really done good. They show maybe, if, a, if it's a 30-minute show, They'll have the commercial at the beginning, then the show will start, and after 15 minutes or so, they'll, yeah. it'll end, and they say, end of part one, ding, and then it goes into the commercial, and then the commercials end, and it says part two. Here it just goes, ding, 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 from one into the next. Yeah. You don't know if it's a commercial or if it's the show. <laughs> Plug me in. We need to trim the fat from All Things Must Pass. For this, for selection, we're including all the songs that featured on the original 1970 album release. And before we start talking about the songs, let's talk a little bit about the album cover. So, Brother Paul, we'll start with you. What do you what, it's obviously a very iconic cover now, but what, what do you think about the, the album cover and artwork? I think it's quite cool, uh, just because it's it doesn't look particularly cool and that's that's what makes it cool in a sense because it yeah he's sitting on a a little uh stool outside almost in a garden and, and of course the original was black and white but i kind of like that fact that it's not not meant to be great and, and i actually like the 2001 version because they sort of updated it and put color in it and they put like things behind it that made it more current but no, I, I quite like it, actually, and all the gnomes and stuff, because <laughs> he loved his garden. So, yeah. I suppose there's no business, there's no business like show business. What about you, Paul? I think it's a terrible album cover. <laughs> I think it's possibly what I mean. It's just good that the songs were good on it, because maybe that's the reason why I didn't get to number one in the UK, because, uh, I mean, it's awful. I mean, it's like... George Harrison sitting in a pair of wellies with surrounded by some gnomes in a black and white photo that just looked really bleak. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's like it doesn't represent the album at all. It's like, or the songs in it are anything. It's like, it just looks like as if it's been cobbled together. And when you come off of like, you know, like how much thought that the Beatles put into their album covers, maybe not so much let it be, but I still had a booklet it came with. Uh, like Abbey Road or even the White Album or, you know, like, and then it's just this. It just looks like, oh, so throwaway. It's really awful. I think it is a terrible, terrible album cover. Not a fan of it, Paul. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it does the album justice. You know, it really doesn't do it justice. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I think the songs on the album are full of colour. And and I think the artwork on this is, as you say, is black and white and, and really quite quite dark. And it's hard to, it's become an iconic album cover, so it's hard to look at it with, with fresh eyes. Uh, yeah. It's been around for so long, isn't it? And that's where yeah. I have a problem uh, maybe, you know, looking at it objectively. Uh, all I see now is this iconic album album cover. And I really can't look at, look at it objectively. Yeah, I'm the same. Okay, uh, thanks for that, guys. So let us then go to the songs itself. So 
to get a spot on the TTMS Supercut of the album, uh, at least two of us needed to want a song on the album. And uh, I think it's worked out actually quite well. I think we have agreement on, I think, 11 songs. Uh, and that left space for a 12th song, which I am going to leave the selection of to a George Harrison Facebook group. And I'll explain a little bit more about that when the time comes. So the first song that gets on to the album is, and we're going to hear it now, it's My Sweet Lord. My sweet Lord mm, my Lord mm, my Lord I really want to see So guys, that was my sweet lord, and I'm maybe going to start with you, brother Paul. What's your thoughts on my sweet lord? It's a classic song, really good song, and I love how this sort of it's, it starts with just him and the acoustic guitar, and then drums kick in, and then the Phil Spector all of sound comes in, and it's just a really good song. It's just a shame that what was it six years later he got sued from the Chevons. He's so fine. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, he's so fine. Doolang, doolang, doolang. Doolang, doolang. He's so fine. Doolang, doolang, doolang. Wish he were mine. Doolang, doolang, doolang. That handsome boy over there. Doolang, doolang. One with the wavy hair. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. But I'm gonna make a Sued for it, but I and what was the other song? Oh, happy day! You said that my sweet lord kind of stole the tune, but I everything's a bit of uh, you take bits from everything, really. I don't see it as similar to these songs, yeah. But it's a brilliant song, brilliant song. How about you, Paul? Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, classic song. It's uh still getting played now my son listens to it because it's on the soundtrack of guardians of the galaxy volume two <laughs> good that uh young kids sort of like get to hear it and stuff so yeah i mean it is i mean considering it's subject matter it is uh you know which sort of you know would people really get into a song that's about uh my sweet lord or chanting harry krishna so it's good that yeah it's good that it's still played now and it's still Still a great song. Yeah, it's an evergreen classic, isn't it? Uh, obviously, it's most famous and popular solo song. And, and as you say, yeah, the whole Hare Krishna thing, the, ma uh, the, the, the mantra, great. And you don't really hear that in, in many uh, popular songs, that's for sure. Um, I think the song uh, read somewhere, he, he wrote the song while he was on tour with Delaney and Bonnie, and he'd actually given the song right. along with All Things Must Pass, the song to Billy Preston to yeah, record. Yeah, because he recorded it first. 
Yeah, on his encouraging words uh, LP, which was out on uh, obviously the Beatles Apple label. And I think George Harrison produced that, didn't he? That, that, that album. Um, and the, that very famous slide guitar lick on it, uh, on the song, was meant to be played by Eric Clapton, but George Harrison ended up doing it. Became his trademark, really, didn't it? It so... did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a shame that uh, the song ended up being in a court battle for copyright um, and, infringement. But uh, and of course, it was yeah. Alan Klein that bought the publishing right. in order to sue George Harrison. Uh, right. Which uh, then it, it was because. Uh, what was it? Uh, what was it? Nicked off of again? What was the? She's so, was she's that so a, fine. Was that co-written by Phil Spector? I think it might have been. Yeah. So the idea was he played on it, or he produced it, and he was. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of ironies in it. It was a Ronnie Mack song, uh, which was performed. Um. Yeah. Uh, by the Chiffons. Yeah. 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 And the, and they also say. You know the, the gospel song "Oh Happy Day." They they also say that that was one of the songs that it stole from as well. But... Mm. Okay, well that was my sweet lord. Let's move on to the next one that gets on to our version of the album, and that is "Wawa." Okay, so that was Wawa and uh, Paul Murphy. Let's start with you this time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it, it. I mean, it is the epitome of uh, a Phil Spector wall <laughs> of sound on this because it is like uh, there's however many you know, like tambourines and everything else thrown into it, but uh, twenty drummers. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what's great about it. It is just. It's so different compared to like what the Beatles had done beforehand. And uh and that's yeah, I think it's a I think it's a brilliant song, just the opening riff on the wah wah pedal and then uh yeah, it just is like a total like wall coming at you. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean for me it's maybe my maybe my favourite George Harrison song. Love it. Um, as you say, this is where you get the full-on Phil Spector wall of sound. It's glorious. It just propels forward with that great guitar riff and drums. Uh, and I think it just, when the horns kick in around about the two-minute mark, that just brings it up to another level. It's, uh, yeah, perfection. And one of those songs that's best played, uh, best played loud. And did you know... It was the first song recorded for the album and mm. his first song performed as a solo artist live in 1971. Yeah, the concert mm. for Bangladesh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was what he opened with. 
Obviously, it, right, it, it was written at the t- it was written when he had actually temporarily quit the Beatles in six, uh, January 1969 uh, during the Get Back sessions, which obviously ultimately became the Let It Be album. Uh, and I think it was obviously due to a bit of a falling out with uh, Paul McCartney over his over assertiveness and criticism of his guitar playing. Um, I think he was also annoyed around John. Lennon's lack of engagement with the the project and the dismissal of Harrison as a songwriter and Yoko Ono's constant involvement in the band activities. So I think just all of that uh, obviously conspired to inspire Wawa. So we've got that to be thankful for, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was um, John, uh, one of the engineers on that album, John Leckie, who said... There was an, an, an enormous amount of sound in your headphones. It was super powerful. It was great. And of course, uh, John Leckie went on to produce the Stone Roses. Yeah, a lot of classic albums they worked and on. Yeah, Muse. The first was it the first album? They... I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, Brother Paul, your thoughts on Wawa? Yeah, uh, the highlight of the album for me. Just a brilliant song and just everything you love about Phil Spector as well. And I think as well, you have to remember at this time when this album was getting made, George Harrison was only 26. <laughs> you know, that yeah. it, it's it's kind of like, and there's all these musicians, obviously, you know, Phil Spector's there. So you've got like a couple of football teams worth of musicians in the, in the room. And uh, yeah, he's only 26, you know, mm-hmm. and 25, 26 when the Beatles split, you know, so it, it is quite amazing. Yeah, and, uh, and I suppose when you think the next year it's the Bangladesh gig and he's, you know, that kind of uh, started the whole charity gigs thing a week before uh, Live Aid and uh, but yeah, I remember seeing it's nowhere near as good the version that Eric, Eric Clapton does the vocals on the uh, the George Harrison tribute in 2001, no 2002 uh, and uh, Eric Clapton does the vocals for it but yeah, it's just a brilliant, absolutely brilliant song. Never tired of listening to it. Okay, let's move on to the next song, which makes it, which is Isn't It a Pity? Isn't it a pity Now isn't it a shame How we break each other's hearts and cause each other pain. Okay, that was Isn't It a Pity? And we'll move stick with you, Brother Paul. What do you think about this song? Yeah, it's a brilliant song. It's a really great, great song. And at, at the end, uh, it's obviously a bit like Hey Jude, na 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 na, you know, in the end. But I remember when I first heard it, obviously it had come out way before Julian Lennon, but it reminded uh, the sound of it was a bit like uh, Saltwater by Julian Lennon. And because I'd heard that song first, that's what kind of reminded me of a bit. And uh, almost like Oasis have stolen quite a bit from this song, I think, as well, and All Around the World. 
<laughs> probably why George Harrison didn't like them because Oasis uh, changed it just enough so they weren't sued over it. That's right. Uh, but no, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant song, and it's finally him coming out of the shadow of Lennon McCartney. You know. It's, okay, Paul. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's uh, one of his best songs. Well, it's, that's that's what I've got as his best song. Um, it's yeah, it's just it's. Uh, I think the production on it's really good as well. I mean, it's not quite total spectre tastic, but it builds up. It's uh, yeah, productions on it's great. Um, and th- this is version one that we're talking about. It sure is. Uh, yeah, and the lyrics are good. It's just it's uh, it's one of those songs. I think the first time when you heard it, you're like, oh, never expected George Harrison to do a song like this. This is this is supposed to be a Lennon and McCartney song. Yeah, I think for me, uh, it's it's a beautiful song. It's got that great piano riff and actually superb piano playing throughout. Uh, again, I think if you compare the most recent remix to the Spectre version, I do prefer the the treatment of the drums and the strings on the original. Uh, there's lovely guitar playing on this as well. Uh, and actually, the production on it sounds a lot like, especially the strings, it sounds a lot like Spectre's future work on Lennon's solo albums. Mm. Um, it's, uh, that's what that reminded me of. Um, and the song was also the inspiration for Coldplay's The Scientist. Because uh, if you actually listen to that song, I think Chris Martin was trying to play Isn't It a Pity? And it then turned into... Uh, the scientists, you'll find the chord structure on it is very similar. Um, and something I didn't know until researching for the podcast is that George Harrison actually wrote this song in 1966 but it was rejected for inclusion uh, on uh, by the other Beatles, which is which is why you would think that George Harrison, you know, must have been stewing for years and years, thinking I'm writing all these great songs, and they're just not getting a look in here, because a lot of the material on this album were songs that were rejected by the other Beatles, you know, the title track is an example, and the, you know, they're all great songs. Yeah, because they played it, it's on the, I mean, it might be in the Peter Jackson film when it comes out, but uh, they rehearsed that during the Get Back sessions, isn't it a pity? That's right. Um, yeah, just rejected it along All Things Was Past is on it as well. Yeah, that's, that's right. That song that's on there. Um, yeah, which is kind of like uh, it's a bit strange that you know they decided to reject it, but and then you can see yeah. how he ended up with two albums with a double albums worth of material. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's a, it's a pity, isn't it? <laughs> oh dear. Okay, okay. let's uh, move on to the next track, uh, which is making it, and that is "What Is Life." Tell me who am I 
what is life? Please tell us, Paul Murphy. Yeah, this is a, another another great song. Um, I suppose you know a lot of people might have. Uh, I mean, you know, it was a single, wasn't it, in the US, wasn't it? But uh, also on the Goodfellas soundtrack. That's right. Yeah, uh, which is a brilliant soundtrack. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's such a it's such a good. It's just a it's, it's a good sort of like pop song, but again, it's got great great production on it. Like the Phil Spector production is just really 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 top on it it's and it does give it that i think that's the thing with a lot of these songs when it is that the specter songs is that it sounds so different compared to the beatles it sounds like it's got like extra because it's got extra musicians on it it's just got a bit of what feels like a bit of extra budget towards it um it just sounds so different and i think this is yeah brilliant song okay brother paul brilliant uh, bright song, just really commercial as well. And I remember the first time I heard it actually in the UK, it was the it's actually the B side to My Sweet Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if that's your introduction to George Harrison solo, <laughs> uh, you can't get any better than that. But it, it's just a great song. I also love the riff as well, and it, it's a really great riff that starts off the song. And I've heard quite a few versions of it actually. And there's quite a few good ones. Like I love the Phil Spector arrangement. That's the best version. There's also quite a few good ones where it's just like the guitar riff going and there's an instrumental version that was on the 2001, uh, which is really good as well. And there's like sort of horns and stuff, a bit like Penny Lane. Uh, So no, it's a brilliant song. Excellent song. And it's in Goodfellas, as Paul was saying, yeah. Yeah, jointy little number, really enjoyable. Kind of got a little, maybe a Motown-inspired feel to it. But yeah, it has been used in quite a lot of, of movies. You, you guys have mentioned Goodfellas, but uh, it was in This Is 40 and, and actually uh, quite a number of different movies. And and one thing I didn't know until recently is that Olivia Newton-John had a UK hit with her version of it, mm. which I have not heard. Any good? Have any of you guys heard it? I've no. not, I, I heard a, a female singer, I think it was a black singer maybe, and it was actually a really good version because uh, I think it's, like you say, it's like Motown singer. It was actually quite a good version, a bit like uh, Try Some, Buy Some, when mm. Ronnie Spector did it. It was actually a better version. The vocals suited uh, a female voice. And I think it's mm-hmm. probably the same with this song, actually. It suits a female voice, the, hmm. the sound. Okay. Uh, next song that makes it, uh, this is the first one which is not a unanimous selection, so only me and Brother Paul wanted it on, and that is on, anyway, the this cut of the album, and that is Behind That Locked Door. So let out your heart, please, please, from behind that locked door. Okay, so that was Behind Locked Door. Uh, Brother Paul, maybe start with you on this one. Yeah, I think it's just a nice, delicate song, you know, after you've had, you know, uh, you know, from, from like the second song on the album right up to then, it's all quite, quite heavy, heavy stuff. And it's just nice just to have a sort of peaceful, uh, 
a break in between those big bombastic songs, a bit like uh, Long, Long, Long on the White Album, you know, it, that came in at a time where it was needed just a bit of peace and quiet and the songs are really just that, a nice wee uh, breather in between the, the other songs. Uh, Paul Murphy, mm-hmm. you didn't have it on your. I think you, you you'd split stuff into three, hadn't you? But this wasn't on your uh, initial cut, one. was it? No, your no. Main one, no. I, I I think if it was on a, you know, it's an okay song. It's it's you know it's a, a decent enough album song, but I think it would have been better placed on a different album. I think it's quite hard to go from, you know, like the big Phil Spector sound. I mean, you've got if not for you beforehand as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, then you're going from behind that locked door to let it down, which is like, you know, total Phil Spector. So I just, it, yeah, feels a bit like it should be on a different type of album, really, a different album with the quieter stuff and the more band stuff. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like something uh, Neil Young would do, certainly more country, more chilled out. Uh, I like that the drums on it are played with uh, with brushes. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a nice kind of chill out song for me. I do like it. Uh, and did you know that George Harrison wrote that song in August 1969 as a message of encouragement to Bob Dylan, who is making a highly publicized comeback to the concert stage. Um, and on the track, there's a, a prominent contribution from Nashville's pedal steel virtuoso Peter Drake who would go on to produce Ringo Starr's second solo album. And on this track, there was twin keyboard parts from Gary Wright and Billy Preston in the tradition of the the band whose sound influenced Harrison's arrangement on this song and on a lot of uh, the All Things Must Pass album. Okay. Of course, it was uh, written, uh, the other thing was written, while he was behind the locked uh, toilet door, wasn't it? Because uh, he was locked in his toilet at Friar Park when... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, really? Didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Sue, the next song that makes it's another unanimous one, and it is Let It Down. Love the Phil Spector. It almost sounds like it could be in like a spy movie or something. And I actually heard the first time I heard it was on a Get Back uh, bootleg way back in the late nineties, and I, I liked it then. And that's I'd heard that version first, and then that's here in this version. No, I think it's a really good song. Okay, uh, Paul Murphy. Yeah, I think it's uh, just, again, it's that bombastic Phil Spector production that's, uh, and it is, it's just, uh, yeah, it is 
again kind of similar to wawa it just totally is like there is a wall of sound coming at you and uh yeah i think it's just you get carried away with it it's uh, a lot of good energy with it as well it's great it's uh, uh for me in some ways that main chorus riff you know bah, bah, da, da, da. it sounds like a, a 70s a dramatic 70s game show theme mm. <laughs> <laughs> come on down the price is right uh, Always kind of reminds me of that, but yeah, it's a full on Phil Spector uh, production on this one, isn't it? That's for sure. Um, and did you know that uh, Harrison wrote the song in 1968 and offered it to the Beatles in the January of 1969 for inclusion on what would become Let It Be? And guess what? It was rejected. Imagine that though, in the studio, they're going, No, George, it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what again the context of it where you know again I don't like how going back and tweaking it and reducing the production level on it because it, in a way it is a bit like a big one of a better term fuck you to the rest of the Beatles because it oh. is like here's all the songs you rejected and I've got Phil Spector adding in like a wall of sound on it so it, it, it's not just like a band playing it it's like massive it is just you know like <laughs> you're gonna get crushed yeah. by this <laughs> yeah okay so that was let it down the next one that makes it on our cut is one that was selected by me and brother paul and it is beware of darkness dropping all around you So, but we'd have darkness, Paul Murphy, you didn't have it on your main cut. Why not? It's great. Uh, it? Yeah, again, probably the same reason as before. I mean, it's a, it's, you know, it's a good song, uh, but um, yeah, it sounds sort of a bit, it sounds more like a Beatles song. It sounds more like, in a way, like the, the production of it, the arrangement of it. it. Yeah. So I think... Again, it just doesn't really fit with the rest of the album. I thought it's you know it's an okay song, uh, but um, yeah, I think it'd be better on a on a different album that was like more of a band album than a Phil Spector album. Okay, I mean for me, it, it, this is a very George Harrison song, and it's one of the ones which you can actually see being put on Cloud Nine about fifteen years mm. later. I think the structure of it um, uh, and the chords. Um, I, I love the subtle strings in the background throughout this whole song. They're really uh, beautiful. It's the opening track on the second disc of the of the album, and I believe it was one of the more recent songs that were written uh, for it. So, but yeah, for me, it's a, it's a great tune. Really like it, well, uh, brother Paul. Yeah, it's a really good good song. And of course, this was played live on uh, the concert for Bangladesh and. There's a good version as well where uh, Leon Russell, he takes a verse, he's got a really good voice and he takes a verse on it as well. And I think Eric Clapton sang it on the George Harrison tribute concert as well. Mm. But yeah, no, really good, really good song. I don't think uh, in terms of people that have sort of 
tackled some of George Harrison's songs. I think the best voice has got to be Billy Preston. He's got such an amazing voice. When you listen to some of the stuff, yeah, he's he's amazing. Yeah. Alrighty, uh, we're talking of good songs. Let's continue that with the next one, which is a, a, a unanimous choice, and that is the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp. Let it roll. Guys, Frankie Crisp, what do you think about it? Uh, Paul Murphy, let's start with you. Uh, it's it's quite a it's quite a murky song. It's quite hard to make out the lyrics and stuff on it, but uh, it's sort of like quite almost like it feels like impending doom on it. Don't know why, but uh, I think it is. It's just it's a it is quite a cool little song. It's like it's a. Uh, the arrangements are quite good in it in terms of just the keyboards sort of in the background and stuff and then just the the droning vocals that go on as well uh yeah yeah i got yeah it's uh, I, I like it okay yeah for me it's yeah it's a brilliant song um it's got that lovely guitar riff and uh, the piano and drums at the beginning of each verse which is great a uh, glorious song um, and for those that don't know, it was written as a tribute to uh, Frank Crisp, who was a 19th century lawyer and the original owner of Friar Park, which is the Victorian Gothic residence in Oxfordshire that Harrison purchased in early 1970. Uh, Paul, what do you think? It's a good song, yeah, quite... quite uh... Quite groovy, actually. Yeah, quite temp- a lot of tempo changes and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one is one that me and brother Paul wanted on the album, and that is the title track, which is All Things Must Pass. It's not always gonna be just passed i'll maybe kick us off with uh, this one great tune what a chorus and and i think the it's like almost a release of pressure uh, when you go from the verses into the uh, the chorus it's a, it's a great great song uh and i didn't realize until recently that billy preston released it originally after the beatles had rehearsed the song in january 69 but overlooked it again for inclusion on their let it be album um so although the Beatles failed to formally record the song, um, there is a 1969 solo demo by George Harrison that appears on the Anthology 3 uh, compilation. Um, 
Brother Paul, you wanted it on. What do you like about it? It's just quite a, in many ways, I think it's quite an overrated song, but it's, it's just quite peaceful. Uh, <laughs> it is quite peaceful. And this was the the words that, like, uh, you know, all things must pass, you know, like, even if you're having a hard day today, it doesn't mean tomorrow's going to be hard. You know, it's like the hard times will pass. So I like the sentiment of the song. It's uh, a bit overrated, I'd have to say, but I just think it fits in with the, the feel of the album. So that's why I, and of course, it's one of the few songs Paul McCartney's covered that were George Harrison, because he did a version in the George Harrison tribute concert. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting to hear Paul McCartney singing it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Paul Murphy, you didn't have it on your album. What's going on there? Uh, yeah, I think it's a great song. I think it's a brilliant song, but I just don't think it was necessarily fitting with my selection of Phil Spector, Big Wall of Sound stuff. So I, I was sort of thinking, could it fit in there? But I was like, no, nah, it would be better as a, again, as more of a, band type album i think if it was uh you know with eric clapton and billy preston and you know all those guys on it um yeah yeah so that's why i didn't on it still it's a great song though okay thank you for that so i think so far we've had let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine selections we've got three to go and the next two are songs that both you guys wanted on and I did not. So the next one is Art of Dying. So let's hear it. So, Art of Dying, uh, Brother Paul, do you want to kick us off with what you like about this song? Yeah, it's one of my favourites on the album, actually. It's kind of hidden away on the, the second side, uh, well, disc two, I suppose, is what you CD. And it's just really everything. It's quite a bit like a uh, movie theme or something. And I like the sort of flamenco Spanish sort of feel to it as well. And uh, it has everything but the kitchen sink in it. It's just a really good. I've heard like a couple of versions of it, and I just think it's a yeah, a really good song. Yeah, one of the highlights for me on the album. Okay, uh, Paul. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know considering that the the the, the title is quite morose. Uh, the mm. song itself is quite. I mean, again, it's fast. It's got a lot of energy to it. Um, I mean, it is. It, it, it again sounds like a Phil Spector sort of <laughs> special, and it's like, right, how do we get some like uh, trumpets in there? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I think it's great. I think it's one of those songs that is um, again, yeah, it's like it's, it's sort of hidden a bit in there, and uh, like what Paul was saying, but. Uh, and and so it's maybe because it is hidden right at the end of side four that uh, maybe it gets lost a bit, but it is mm-hmm. yeah, loads of great energy to it. I think great. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't have it on uh, my cut, but that was purely for time reasons, I think. You know, pretty much any song on those first two discs <laughs> was in contention because they're really, for me, not a bad song uh, on those first two discs. And yeah, this could easily have slotted in instead of something else, but obviously just had to lose uh, a few for time. And this was one of them, although I think, yeah, it's a really, really uh, good song. Uh, the next one, which you guys wanted on the album, is Awaiting on You All. So let's hear it. You don't need a love You don't need a face You don't need a heart as you're full of just don't see the message you're in. If you open up your heart, you know what I mean. The people who need to love. Waiting on you all, uh, Paul Murphy. Let's maybe start with you. What do you like about this? Uh, again, it's another great, uh, great Phil Spector song <laughs> in the production. Uh, and I think the lyrics are quite, you know, they're quite good fun in a way. Kind of sort of like represent a bit of George Harrison, a bit, you know, like he's he's talking about uh, his beliefs and religion, but he's sort of like giving it a little bit of a like a little bit of a glib sort of approach to it um yeah and it just again it coasts along it's uh again another good fun song yeah brother paul yeah i think it's a really good song it's very kind of gospely and they do quite a good version of it on the concert for bangladesh the next year but it just got me thinking we were talking about concert for Bangladesh and Ringo you know when they do it don't come easy and Ringo really the vocals are terrible <laughs> you know when he sings it live oh it was sung by Rocky Balboa <laughs> to be honest it sounded it sounded like it sounded like it was sung by Rocky Balboa to be fair it's real <laughs> it's real <laughs> so yeah so that was uh, yeah but yeah good song really good song yeah okay uh yeah for me it's another one which I, I like it as well it's just something had to be cut for time and that was one of them so gents that is 11 songs which means we have space for one more and uh, i had put a poll on the facebook george harrison appreciation society group and asked them for to pick what their favorite song from the album was. And I'm not going to share what that song is just yet. However, I am going to pick the most favorite song that we didn't pick to get the last slot on the, the album. And that song is Run of the Mill. To the decide.
So any of you guys consider putting that on your cut? Nah. <laughs> you can at least take time to think about it. <laughs> yeah. um, you go on, Paul. You, you no, no, you, on you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like it's one of those ones where, again, I would have had it more as the... Um, more in a band sort of type type album, more of a band type song. Uh, it's okay, you know. It's uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't have put it as being one of the best ones on it. I would have had that in mind. Um, I had that down as um, one of my uh, selections, so I'm I'm happy it gets on there. What about you, brother Paul? Yeah, it's it's quite a good song. Yeah, good Phil Spector uh, production as always. Uh, it's just a bit it's good but it's, because it's a triple album yeah it's it wasn't going to make it really it wasn't good enough yeah okay guys we've got uh one two three four songs that one of us at least had selected which aren't making the cut and there's a few others which nobody um selected so we'll maybe get we'll go through the list of the ones that no one selected, which is uh, Apple Scruffs, I Dig Love, Isn't It a Pity Version 2, Out of the Blue, Plug Me In, uh, I Remember Jeep and Thanks for the Pepperoni. <coughs> Any of them did you consider putting on your cut? I did consider putting on, isn't it a pity, too, I thought it would be a nice way to, uh, like, almost like Sergeant Pepper reprise, you know, put that in near the end, but just didn't have time, yeah, even though it only lasted a couple of minutes, didn't have time. Yeah. I mean, I was going to stick out of the blue on, but uh, again, 11 minutes, there wasn't quite enough time to fit it on. But, uh, more, yeah. I know. <laughs> I mean, I do quite like Out of the Blue, I think, as a, you know, if it's, it is a bit kind of like a Pink Floyd type sort of instrumental. I mean, it does mm -hmm. go on a little bit, but it's, uh, I think that is the best instrumental song on the the Jam album. Um, I think that is, that's, that is quite good. I would have considered that one, but, you know, 11 minutes is like, and it's actually quite hard to even cut it down to like three or four minutes because it's, there's no easy cut points in it. It's crap. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, what, what is really very interesting is, is that list of songs that we none of us picked is almost identical mm. to the list of songs on the George Harrison Appreciation Society poll where mm. no one has picked and no one has voted for them. <laughs> so I think I think uh, I think these guys have great taste because uh, it aligns with ours. And so there was a few songs where uh, one of us at least picked it. So let's just quickly go through them. Uh, the first one, Paul, brother Paul, you picked it's Johnny's birthday. So let's have a quick snippet of it. <laughs> It's Johnny's birthday, it's Johnny's birthday, and we would like to wish him all a very best. It's Johnny's birthday, it's Johnny's birthday. 
Paul, that was Johnny's birthday. Why did you want to include that one? Because it's it's short, and George Harrison, yeah, he could be quite angry at times, but he had a really a big part of a big sense of humour, and I just thought it'd be a nice way to kind of for the end of the album, and because it was uh, it was also for John Lennon uh, from the song Congratulations, and and. Uh, so yeah, so it was more like a fun thing just to put in there. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the one mm. next one is one that I wanted on, which was "I Love You Anytime," which is actually the opening song on the album. Um, which is a bit of a strange choice for an opener, since it's it's so chilled <laughs> mm. when you've got all these really bombastic songs that you can open with. Uh, so it's quite strange. home in Bearsville uh, near Woodstock in upstate New York um, in late 68 uh, but yeah it's quite a strange one to, to open the album with but I do like it some really nice lead guitar work on it by Eric Clapton uh, to me it sounds like something that could have been on the second side of Abbey Road nice chill groove nice marching drum build to the chorus uh, and yeah good song I would have had it on the on the album and another one uh, which I selected and you guys didn't, and, and I'm surprised, I have to say, I thought you guys would have went for this one, is If Not For You. If not for you Babe, I couldn't even find the door I couldn't even see the floor I'd be sad and blue If not for you Did any of you consider it? Uh, again, I sort of think it feels like it's probably... I think it's a decent song, um, but it, it doesn't feel quite right on the album. Hmm. It feels like it should be on another album, really. Okay. Just the production and everything on it is quite low-key. Is it, is it not a Bob Dylan song? It is, yeah, yeah, written, yeah, written with Bob Dylan, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's a bit... It's not a bad song, it's just a bit bland compared to the rest. I, I really like the lyrics on this one when, when you listen to uh, it. Love Little Tune, Beautiful Love Song, uh, nice slight guitar and harmonica on it. Uh, and I think it's something that could have come from a mid-60s Beatles album. Um, and here's that lady again, Olivia Newton-John, in 1971, released a version of it as her first international single. Not for you Babe, I couldn't even find the door I couldn't even see the floor I'd be sad and blue mm. There you go. Unfortunately, it wasn't her last. Oh, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I mean, you know, yeah. we mean just the ELO version of Xanadu. Xanadu is superb. It's brilliant, 
I like her voice, actually. I think she's got a really good voice. She does? Yeah. Is that, is that because she's hopelessly devoted to you, Paul? <laughs> yeah. yeah, she wants to get physical. <laughs> righty. Uh, and the last one, which I think, Paul Murphy, you wanted on was Hear Me Lord. So let's hear it now. Help me, Lord, please to rise above the stealing. So, Paul, Hear Me, Lord, what do you like about the song? Uh, again, it's just it's another sort of Phil Spector sort of sounding uh, song. And it's just, uh, yeah, I had it as a sort of like second last song on side B on mine for going into Isn't It a Pity? So I thought it fitted in quite well in there. Uh, yeah, so I think it fits in with that whole Spectre sort of approach. Right, gents. Well, thank you for that. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I am going to just do a rundown of the 12 tracks that have made it on to the album. So we have Wawa, My Sweet Lord, Behind That Locked Door, The Ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, Let It Down, All Things Must Pass, Past, What Is Life, Art of Dying, The Weight of Darkness, Awaiting on You All, Isn't It a Pity, and Run of the Mill. So guys, how would you rate the supercut of the album? Brother Paul, I'll start with you. Uh, well, how would you rate that out of five? Yeah, it's an excellent album. Yeah. Maybe uh, uh, five, five. Although I had it at five at the start. Uh, yeah, I would say five for the Supercut. Okay, Paul Murphy? Yeah, I think you're going to, you know, is regarded as one of the best albums of all time. But, you know, going back to listen to it, there is an awful lot of uh, musical fat on there. So I think trimming it down, you do wonder if it would be even more highly regarded, really, if it was cut down. So I think, yeah, I'd give it a five out of five. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm going to agree with you guys. I'm going to go five out of five as well. Uh, I know with my own cut of it, I've, I've been listening to that consistently over the last two weeks, and it's brilliant. And so my own cut would get a five as well. So, yeah, I think, I think are we all in agreement that uh, the Supercut is the better version? Yes. Yeah, stop, yeah. stop going back and cutting out Phil Spector and just, like, <laughs> release this. Release this as the definitive version. Mm -hmm. Well, let's share our own playlist of the album now, guys. So I'll, I'll maybe start with uh, with mine uh, first of all. So I had on on my one. But I would I would start with the the big hit single, which is "My Sweet Lord." Uh, before then, showing out a wee bit with "I'd Have You Anytime." We're picking up the, the pace again with the everything but the kitchen sink wawa uh, and then slowing it down with isn't it a pity version one uh, before raising the tempo with what is life uh chilling out a wee bit again if not for you uh, and that would be my side one on the second side i'll open with the bombastic 
Uh, but no, Jalai, finish side one behind that locked door. Start off side two with the bombastic, let it down. Uh, then go with run of the mill, the weight of darkness, the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, and finish side two and the album with all things must pass. Uh, Brother Paul, what's your cut? Yeah, mine was <clears throat> started off with Wawa. Really up tempo, and then My Sweet Lord is the second track. And behind that locked door, just to slow things down a wee bit. And then the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp. Let it down, and then sort of a bit of uh, at the end of uh, side one, just to sort of chill with all things must pass. And then side two would start with What Is Life, a real uh, get up and go song. And then The Art of Dying, The Way of Darkness, Waiting on You All. And then 50 seconds of It's Johnny's Birthday is a penultimate song. And then It's a Pity is the album closer, like a real anthemic ending to the album. Cool, and um, Paul Murphy, do you want to take us through the kind of three different versions that you had uh, concocted? Okay, so the first one is it's going to be renamed and the album itself is going to be called Phil Spector Presents My Sweet Lord featuring George Harrison. The and it really is this is a Phil Spector album, you know, let's let's face it. This is uh, which happens to have George Harrison on. Uh so the opening song is My Sweet Lord. Uh, so go with the big the big single uh, first of all then gonna have Wawa then Art of Dying and then Waiting on You All and then the first side closes with the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp Let It Roll which is a nice long fade out on it second side starts with uh, Let It Down uh, yeah like you said a big nice bombastic opening and then I've got Hear Me Lord, and then What Is Life, and then the album closes out with Isn't It A Pity version one, and that comes to 43 minutes. And then uh, the second album that I'd put together was uh, was called All Things Must Pass by George Harrison and Friends. Uh, so the first song opening up is uh, If Not For You, and then we've got Behind That Locked Door, and then Run of the Mill and Apple Scruffs and uh, I Dig Love and All Things Must Pass. And the second side is I'd Have You Anytime, Beware of Darkness, oh sorry, and then All Things Must Pass at the end. Of the, so two, two, five songs underneath there. And then yeah, the third album was just a giveaway for the for the George Harrison uh, fan club. That's the uh, hmm. Apple Jam uh, session underneath there. Very good. Thank you very much for that call. So let's move on to the final questions. So I've got two final questions for you guys. And the first one is more of a debate, really, which is why do you reckon Harrison's career hit the doldrums after the early 70s? So he never really um, hit the heights of popularity again until Cloud Nine 
1987, uh, which was obviously a significant success for him. What do you reckon happened in those kind of 15 years in between? So, Paul Murphy, maybe start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, again, sort of doing a bit of research on this again and going back and reading into and stuff and li listening to his uh, other albums. I mean, you had that. The first thing, you know, so you had All Things Must Pass, Massive, and then the concert for Bangladesh, a big cultural event. But what was interesting is uh, going back and, and reading about living in the material world, which was like a really, really... Um, you know, hyped up album at the time. It was really, really sort of like uh, looked forward to. And on release, it got like huge you know, positive reviews. I mean, Rolling Stone described it as a pop classic. Um, and then, and that, that's kind of forgotten now as an album, really. People don't really talk about living in the material world that much. It's a good, al good album. Yeah, yeah, it is a really good mm -hmm. album. And then after that, you've got Dark Horse, which is... Crap. Yeah, I mean, I think it could be a decent album, but it's almost like like his voice is gone at that point and it's kind of a bit rush released and everything. And I don't know if just at that point by then, like he toured and he got a bit disillusioned about it during the tour and everything and the whole commercial aspect. And, you know, after that, I think it never really felt like when you listen to the thing that this of the gripe that I have about George Harrison's albums, you know, after the, the, the mid-70s when he set up Dark Horse Records and stuff, it felt like he was always moaning a bit about the music industry and stuff. Mm. Uh, and yet, you know, why are you still in it? If you don't want to do it, don't do it. So then I guess that's what he stopped doing. Uh, but yeah, it is. I, I think I think also maybe by the time of the... By the time of like Dark Horse and 74, people have got a bit fed up of his whole, like the whole religion thing that he was doing, the spiritual side of it and stuff. And, you know, music had moved on quite a lot at that point. I mean, you're yeah. in glam and everything at that, you know. So it was maybe a bit dated by that point. Well, did, did, did people not get a bit annoyed? Because when he did, I mean, that 74 tour in America was just to be a disaster. And he was still having like, uh, the first third of the concert would be like Indian musicians playing. Yeah, people was, are like, oh, we don't want to see that. We just want to. See. Yeah, I mean, it was was it not Ravi Shankar that uh, that supported him on that. Um, yeah, but then also, I mean, you do wonder about the backlash underneath there because I think Billy Preston had to do most of his vocals on it because he had the laryngitis he had and he couldn't yeah. he couldn't sing. Uh, and it's like you know, and I think it is just that there was a bit of a backlash going against them and uh, funny because at the same time like McCartney with Wings was now getting more, more popular really and uh, yeah so by the time of 75 when you think about it all the Beatles apart from probably McCartney really were I mean Lennon was retired uh, Ringo's career pretty much over Harrison's career was over and then Wings were doing you know like big tours of the world at that point one of the biggest bands in the world yeah mm. Anyway, what's your thoughts, Paul? Yeah, I guess, you know, after, I was quite under, I mean, I've got all George Harrison's solo stuff, but uh, there's some, like, after All Things Must Pass, there's some, like, good songs, but it's quite patchy, to be honest. Uh, there's a few exceptions where they're, like, classics, but I think he'd almost... 
it compacted like stockpiled so many songs from being the Beatles and then it's almost like they all were blurted out on all things that's passing. It's almost like he exhausted his material, you know, he got so much out that uh yeah, he just kind of lost his way a bit and then obviously making a comeback uh in eighty seven with Cloud Nine. But what people forget as well is that do you know up to when he died really like I suppose in a way well Cloud Nine was his last solo album while he yeah. was alive. You know, so you're talking what fifteen, 15 years? Yeah, fifteen. 14. 15, fourteen years, yeah. Yeah, so I mean he hadn't actually released an album in his life, although he'd done the traveling robberies. Uh but it was And good. live in Japan. Yeah, which wasn't very well received either. Uh, but uh, I just remember seeing him. Um, I quite liked the performance on the Princess Trust concert. I think it was that same year. Cloud Nine came out and he was singing While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And he kept on moving his microphone because it wouldn't stay still. <laughs> and he was singing, he's moving the microphone. And, uh, but I just, for me, George Harrison, that's you'll never beat that song, though, no matter what he does in his solo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, guys, thanks for that. Uh, the final question is this. So what do you reckon is the most popular song on the album as per the George Harrison Appreciation Society Facebook group? Brother Paul, what do you reckon is the most popular song? Mm. Try some, buy some. <laughs> No, I'm being serious. That's a brilliant song. On the album? Or is it just on the song? <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I'm doing a TV mail, I don't know. Mind you, was this a fourth was disc actually, that we don't know about? I don't know. In fairness to me, it was actually recorded when this album was being made. In fairness to you, it wasn't on the album, but that's my excuse. So, yeah, the most on the album, it would probably be Wawa. You reckon it's Wawa? Okay, Paul Murphy. Uh, it's either going to be uh, it's probably My Sweet Lord. I mean, it'd have to be that, sure. It's too obvious to be that. My Sweet Lord was fourth. Oh, I'd go for, uh, isn't it a pity then? Isn't it a pity? Version 1 <coughs> is 11th. Really? Yes. What was it? It's Johnny's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, Johnny's birthday got no votes. <laughs> Give you one more chance each. Uh, all things must pass. All things must pass was six. I would say because it's a real, because obviously the real fans, it's not going to be one of the more commercial ones. Probably. Hmm. Beware of darkness. Did you just look that up on their Facebook group? Is that what it is? Yes. Oh, all right. 
Yep, Beware of Darkness was first. What is Life was second. Run of the Mill was third. Uh, isn't it a pity that we're nearly out of time? So, uh, parting thoughts, gentlemen, as we leave this album. Paul Murphy. Yeah, it's uh, it is a really, really good album to go back to. I just wish they'd stop uh, messing around with it. <laughs> okay, brother Paul. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant album. I'm glad that it's still being recognised fifty years on. And even though the third uh, album is uh, basically a jam, I just think having it all together, I've got to give it five, and it's it's. it's one of the best solo albums by the Beatles. Okay, yep, I've really enjoyed getting to know it properly in either the Spectre version or the 2020 remix. And yeah, it is, I agree, an absolutely classic album and it should be in everybody's music collection. So, uh, what's coming up next from Trimming Musical Fat? The next podcast we'll be releasing after this one will be one of our Hidden Prime Cuts and that is going to be dedicated to Round Our Way, uh, a B-side by Oasis, which is a great track, so look out for that uh, next week. So you can listen to our show on all major podcast providers including Apple, Google and Spotify. Please give us some 5 star reviews and positive comments. You can check us out on Facebook and join our group there. Uh, There you'll have access to a group only monthly podcast episode, ranking videos and much more. Agree or disagree with our comments and selections, leave us a voicemail to let us know. Or you can email us at trimthemusicfat.com at gmail.com Check out all our podcasts, albums and TTMF supercuts on our website www.trimmingmusicalfat.com Until next time Keep trimming Bye 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 Can, can I just run to the loo? I'm desperate now. You, you, you may. Give me a second. Run to the loo. <laughs> Find Mr. Magoo. <laughs> I say I'll just quickly nip as well. Goodbye. For, for a for a poo. Number two is a poo. I think you are in the toilet, aren't you? By that. By crawling down the plug hole. Help. Help. Is there anybody there? I love it. I love it!